Hi, I'm Victor Miller. I wrote Friday the 13th, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hello, everyone. This is Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. Today on Genretainment, we speak to Barry Dodd, the co-creator of the popular Maine-based web series Ragged Isle. We learn more about this award-winning mystery suspense web series and talk to Dodd about his views of the future of independent web series. Plus, we have a bonus interview with Jessica Lane about, <laughs> about American Horror Story. Now, what you heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality On Demand, a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Before we get to the interview, we want to let everyone know about our guest next week. We'll be speaking live on December 18th with Joe Wilson, the creator of the popular independent TV series Vampire Mob. The show has a cast of actors from popular TV shows like Twin Peaks, Boardwalk Empire, The Simpsons, and Sopranos. So if you have a question for Wilson, be sure to call in. Now let's get started with our featured interview with Ragged Isle creator Barry Dodd. You are listening to John Entertainment, and we are speaking to Barry Dodd, director of the web series Ragged Isle, a supernatural drama filmed in Maine. Can you tell us a little bit about the series? I can tell you a little bit about the series. Uh, <laughs> not much sense it will make, but let's give it a try. It is, uh, for the uninitiated, it is a murder mystery that's set on a remote island in Maine. It uh, has nods to the supernatural as it goes along, but I won't, I won't give away too much because that's part of the mystery as to what's going on. Uh, basically, the idea behind it is that there's a, a young woman by the name of Vicki Burke who uh, travels to the island to take a job uh, working for the island newspaper. She's just out of journalism school. She heads to the island. Once she's there, she kind of gets swept up in a, in a mystery pretty quickly where she's sort of falling in love with a, with a guy, uh, with a lobster fisherman on the island who, who may or may not have been doing something that he shouldn't have been doing with some of his lobster men buddies. <laughs> um, We've been compared to shows uh, like Dark Shadows and Twin Peaks and uh, in season two now a, a bit of the X-Files thrown in to, if that gives you some idea of what of the kind of uh, pool we're swimming around in. But those those shows are influences on our show. Very much a small town community, murder mystery, quirky type show. <laughs> It's based out of Maine. Uh, I thought it was really interesting how it's all filmed in Maine. Has an all Maine cast. Uh, I think there's. I think all the bands that provide the music are are out of Maine. Did you did you specifically decide early on that's what you wanted to do? Um, yeah, uh, that it's a source of pride for us to to live in a community that has a, a, a lot of talent. So it, it was really easy for me and for us to make that decision. We just want to support local. That's kind of a big thing here. And I'm guessing that's probably kind of a big thing where everybody comes from. But uh, And I would imagine most web series in general are supporting their communities. And, and, and you have, you're not flying in actors for the most part on web series. If you are, you know, good for you. But yeah, I got, I got lots of talented friends. So I wanted to put them to work, you know. And I'm hope, I was hoping that 
even just if one of them could get discovered because of this, it would have been such a success for us. It would have been really cool. And Stephen Keen, you know, is based out of Maine. So is it safe to say there's a little bit of Stephen Keen influence here and there? I would say so. I mean, there were five writers uh, to begin with, and we all came from different perspectives. I came from the Dark Shadows perspective very heavily, and so did my wife, Karen. Uh, there, there's at least one giant Stephen King fan in the group. I'm sure if we've got like Dr. Who fans, uh, <laughs> it's kind of, we kind of run the map of, of genre attainment, <laughs> you might say, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, Stephen King, definitely an influence on us in general, just as a, a Mainer who is really cool, you know, and, and tells great stories. And one of our secret hopes is that someday you know, he might mention it or something like that. I have no idea if he's ever seen it. And we're not the kind of people up in Maine to just go knocking on doors and, you know, bugging people, especially when they're rich and, you know, famous. <laughs> 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 it's not my thing, but, you know, maybe someday I'll get the courage to, to pull up at his driveway and throw a DVD in a window or something like that. <laughs> now, you said there's uh, there's multiple writers how do you guys manage that whenever you write do do one of you take an episode each do you um kind of plot it out somebody specialize in dialogue how do you juggle that there was definitely people who had certain strong points for the most part i mean it was a while ago that we actually sat down and wrote this it was like in 2010 we would have uh, writers meetings and early on we treated it kind of I, I was really into Disney learning about Disney Imagineers at the time. And there was there was something that they were being thrown around a term called blue sky. It probably isn't just a Disney thing, but it really is something I used early on when we were writing and, and just saying, you know, don't worry about what we're shooting. I'm going to worry about that stuff later. Let's just like talk about what would make the coolest show. And so it was very freeing and, and, and fun for us to sit around a table together and, and come up with ideas. And, and what we would do is we would, every time we had a good idea, something that we, we all agreed on, we'd write it down on a note card and, and put it on a like a big cardboard box I had that had a, a refrigerator came in it. So we would just sort of fill up this this giant box with ideas and then you know you start putting them in order and, and saying okay this could happen this could happen when, it, when we would put together what we thought was an episode then usually uh, Greg Tulinen our head writer would go off and bang out a script based on all of our ideas bring it back we'd talk it through you know and, and work on it together and there are a couple episodes that were written by specific people, Rick Dalton, who's one of the, our writers and one of our lead actors, he wrote the second episode. My wife and I wrote uh, the ninth episode, which is a talent show episode. I call it my Miss Twin Peaks episode. Um, it's a, sort of a comedy in the midst of kind of a dark mystery. For the most part, Greg would take all of our ideas and make sense out of them. You know, he, he's got a mind for that sort of a thing, and we're really lucky to have him. Now, I saw that, you know, this started off as like a husband-wife team. I'm curious how what your background is in film and how you were able to put together a team to create this series. The background in film for both of us is different. Karen has a more traditional film background. She went to uh, Ithaca College and studied for four years, studied film. I'm a little bit more off the beaten path. <clears throat> I wasn't really good in school, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> videos and 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 you know i just had a teacher that was cool like that and would, would let me do stuff like that and so my parents kind of pushed me to try to find some school that i could get into and I, there was a broadcasting school up in bangor which is stephen king country that 
went for two years and I learned how to run video cameras and, and I worked at a TV station up in Bangor for like five years and then I kind of really wanted to try to learn some real film technique and there's a cool program in Rockport called the workshops, film workshops, photography workshops. Um, and so I went there, taught me, you know, just sort of like the bare bones of, of how to do everything. And I was lucky enough to get invited back to work there for a summer being a course assistant. And that was like the most amazing, one of the most amazing years of my life, getting to work alongside the Hollywood professionals who would come up to Maine for free lobster and uh, to teach kids over the weekend. And I would like be able to sit in on some of the classes and learn from them while helping them out. And that was great. Eventually moved myself to Portland, got back because I was broke um, and TV was the last place where I was making money and that's where I still am. I manage a commercial production department at the Fox affiliate in Portland, Maine. And so I have access to cameras and lights and stuff like that. And, and I, my boss is cool enough to allow me to use some of that. I have some of my own gear as well, but like he did let me use lights and stuff like that when, when the Ragged Isle. So that's been pretty handy. Now I'm a filmmaker also, so I usually ask the little techie filmmaking questions and since we're talking about equipment it's a good segue <laughs> what type of equipment did you use what did you shoot the, the series on the first season we shot on a canon xha1s uh which is a hdv camera and uh it worked out pretty well for us. um you know just shot on little mini dv tapes although it's i would consider that probably a prosumer camera we were lucky enough to win a cinematography award for the first season at the indie soap awards in new york so that was that was really cool considering what we were working with you know lighting scenes sometimes with just flashlights and cell phones that camera has served us well in the second season i was lucky enough to have uh there was a fan of the show who asked if he could come on board he had a, a 7d uh a dslr mm -hmm. camera um and i had also purchased a canon t3i at uh target <laughs> and it takes a pretty good you know picture so we use those but in shooting that way we had to also shoot audio separately which was different from our first season so we got an h4n which a lot of people have and shot non-sync sound so it was like going back to film school you know back to you know with the clapperboard and everything <laughs> yeah those dslr is about as close as you get to old school like 60 millimeter 35 millimeter film having flashbacks and it, you forget how it's 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 sort of military military style, you know. There's there's definitely a you change your outlook and and, and just your your soul mannerisms when you're shooting video that way because you're calling things, you know. You're like sound speed. I forgot about speed, you know. Uh, things like that. In the first season, it was very much I, we shot it like I would shoot commercials during the day, you know. Or it's just like I got the camera, all the sound is right there. Okay, I'm rolling, go, you know. So we we sort of picked up the uh, professionalism a bit on season two and three. We shot both seasons two and three at the same time. Oh, cool. Have you shown season three yet? No. Um, I haven't edited it yet. I'm kind of in exile right now. I've, I've, <laughs> I've, uh, I've been on the island for quite a while. Anyone who knows me well knows that I've spent a lot of time working on Ragged Isle, like ever since 2010. There really hasn't been an official break. So now that break in between uh stuff and although i can't tell you what i'm working on now uh, i'm not really using my time to relax uh <laughs> i will say that i am i'm i'm uh attempting something very big that 
I'll be able to talk about maybe in a couple of weeks. Uh, I would say that I am starting to fill up a f- my folder, my Ragged Al 3 folder with footage, you know, dragging in all the files and everything and separating them, but no editing has taken place yet. For the show, how did you guys evolve from, you know, your own film backgrounds into creating this series? Because I remember reading somewhere about something to do with you guys getting together and making something for soap.net or soapnet. Yeah. And then that, that somehow involved or evolved into this? It's funny to think of, but we originally, the group that I originally gotten together, uh, we had a writer's team, which, uh, I mean, it must have been forever ago. Dates escape me now. But uh, at some point, <laughs> way in the past, I had put a writer's group together uh, because I wanted to do a TV show just like a cable access or whatever show, uh, and I wanted it to be a puppet show. So, and we had gotten far the idea um, was going to be about these uh, apes that go into space. It was going to be sort of a sci-fi show with, you know, music and stuff like that. And uh, in the midst of, of creating this project, people had kind of moved away and, and moved on. But we were kind of floating around waiting for another idea. And somebody had brought in, a friend uh, had brought in an idea. His mom had said that they had heard about some sort of a contest on SoapNet. Uh, where they were giving away $10,000 to some students to produce a uh, online web show. I didn't even know what a web series was at the time, you know. But uh, we were like, oh, we could totally win that. <laughs> I don't know why we thought we could. But <laughs> but um, Karen, my wife, uh, had probably the, the most soap opera experience out of all of us. She grew up with the CBS soaps, Young and the Restless and... Whatever other ones are on CBS, I apologize for anything. <laughs> but my experience was Dark Shadows. My mom showed me Dark Shadows growing up. And uh, what was cool about it, you know, aside from it being vampires and werewolves and ghosts and leviathans and stuff, is that it was set in a fictional town in Maine. And so I was like, well, you should do something like that. We should come up with some fictional place. And just ended up looking on the map one day, on the main map, and there was a place called Cree Haven which I mistakenly thought was pronounced Cryhaven. And I was like, that's perfect. Cryhaven. That's like, that sounds like a great name. And so we built this story about this mystery that was set on an island and there was a sheriff and, you know, these characters. And that's actually where we met some of the actors who ended up playing in Ragged Isle years later. Long story short, we didn't win the contest, but we did make it into the top five. They flew people out from L.A. to interview us and do stories and and so we got a chance to to compete for the the top prize. We didn't win, but that idea stayed with me for years. I'm kind of like that. Things get in my head, and I won't let go of them. I really like that idea. And and my wife and I have been watching a lot of Dark Shadows after we'd get Netflix. You know, we found that we could get whole you know whole shows that we hadn't really seen everything from. So we were watching Dark Shadows, and one day I just turned to her and said, you know, we should do something with that Cryhaven idea. Just started looking around for friends that, you know, I thought would be appropriate to help build it. Uh, I worked with Greg at the time, who was the head writer. Asked him early on. I knew that he that he wrote as a hobby, and so I asked him what sort of weird things could take place on an island, and uh, that got his brain going. and And pretty quickly, we started coming up with some ideas together. and And I knew that Rick, who um, who was the sheriff on Cryhaven, I, I had gone to a play that he had done. And I loved his dialogue. I thought it was great. Um, a play that he had written, I'm sorry. He wrote and directed it. I loved the dialogue in it, and I wanted him to be a part of it because I, I think 
uh, of the group of people that we had, uh, you know, that was one of our weaknesses. Um, and my friend uh, Jacob Lear, who I've known since kindergarten, he's like he was like the smartest guy I knew, and he just has to be a part of the project. So he he came on and became the fifth member of the writers team. He was also a part of that initial group that did the soap opera contest and the uh, the puppet show thing as well, which he's still kind of working on that story. So we may do something someday with that project. But anyways, that idea stuck with us and we we wanted to do it. So we started writing and yeah, we brought back some of the actors. We could write for some of the actors who were in the original contest video and brought in some more friends. And it's a long story, but... <laughs> why, why did you change your name to Ragged Isle? I, I originally, even back when we were daydreaming of winning that contest, I have an old Photoshop file of an image where I had written Ragged Isle on there. Another name for Creehaven is Ragged Island. And so, and I thought that sounded like a cool name too, and less soapy, you know. Uh, it's still very mysterious, but actually one of the real, it's it's a real place, you know. And so I, it, I didn't really make the name up other than Isle, you know. I don't know that people call it Ragged Isle, and they call it Ragged Island. But uh, I don't know, I think it sounds pretty cool. And we went through, you know, some different names, but that's just the one that, I think we all agreed on agreed sounded the best. Now I can't imagine it being anything else other than that. It works. <laughs> it's a good name. Now, what was your budget on making the show? Season one was probably somewhere in the the three thousand dollar range. The majority of that went towards food for a very big cast. We had over thirty actors in the first season, and we were up to over forty for seasons two and three. And in lots of locations, so that meant a lot of different shoot days to get people, you know, to go to all these different places. Um, so the majority of it went towards food. Some of it went towards tapes. And, you know, you got to have a hard drive to put all this footage on and buy clothing if needed. And, you know, uh, like the sheriff's costume and, you know, the little name tags and stuff like that. But that's where the majority of, of it went was, was food and, and other various prop expenses and stuff like that. How did you raise money? Was it just out of pocket the first season? The first season was uh, Karen and I, we just pulled out the credit card, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and what about season two and three? Did you guys do a Kickstarter for that or just? We eventually did. We we got as far as we could on our own. And then when we did, it just looked like we weren't going to be able to pay the mortgage. We, uh, we did an Indiegogo campaign to get us finished, and the goal was 3000 and we met that goal, so it was cool. Still really thankful for doing that. It's the kind of thing we didn't plan on doing. I think it's humbling to ask you know, your audience to, to pay for what essentially you know, they had been getting for free. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful that, that it's not a business model. You know, it's not, not the kind of thing you'd want to base a whole career around, but they, they helped us out when we needed it. And uh, I really do appreciate it. Okay, good. Well, a lot of web series are starting to do that now, like Aiden 5 for season two, uh, Transolar Galactica for season two. Of course, Journey Quest got tons of money for their Gamers 3. You filmed one through three. Has two already aired all the episodes or is it still airing? Yep, no, two is wrapped uh, officially. Uh, I think we had the last one up uh, like a month ago. It was a, a six-episode season versus our first, which was ten. The trade-off is that they were a little longer episodes this time around. 
we originally had planned on just doing two seasons when we just sat down in our writers meetings uh and mapped the story out but after we finished season one we realized that you know there were some characters that didn't even really exist in the second part of the story that we liked and that fans liked and so we wanted to find a way to include them in the story and it just so we wrote another couple episodes and put a big shocking cliffhanger in between around six episodes in and decided we could make it into three seasons so we've got six episodes for season two and six episodes for season three great and you said they're a little longer how long are they they're a little longer they're around 15 to 17 minutes a piece that's kind of the sweet spot for me as a viewer I don't like really short dramas, you know, but I don't I don't really need to spend a half an hour on the Internet either watching. I like I like somewhere in that range. It feels right to me as a viewer. And uh, that's all I really can go on. You know, our first season, people did say more and more and more. And I think people are always going to say that if you're doing good stuff, you know, whether a half an hour or 10 minutes or whatever. I mean, it's it's very complimentary to hear people say more, but it also is it's good to not give them everything because then, you know, that's part of the trick is, you know, of a cliffhanger or, you know, leave them wanting more. You know what I mean? There has to be some reason for you to come back. Otherwise, we just put out a feature film and you could watch it all at once. 15 minutes is good. I, I start getting antsy when I watch shows and it goes longer than that. I start thinking about even good shows. I'm like checking my email and stuff. And, you know, I want people paying attention to what we're showing them because it's not going to make any sense later on if they don't Uh, it's tempting when you're on the web you're just one click away from your facebook page or or email you guys kind of fell into web series by doing that soap net project and that was the first time you really even heard about web series if i understand correctly so why did you guys decide to stick with that format and uh, you know, moving forward versus trying to turn the concept into maybe a pitch for traditional television or a or a feature film. Sure, that's a good question. Hmm, I remember lots of arguments about it early on. I was pretty adamant that I thought that web series was the way to go. We did talk about it, you know, being a feature or trying to build something that we could pitch. It just seemed like by the time we really started getting into Ragged Isle. In the, into the writing phase of it, I was doing some like heavy research into web series and, you know, shows like The Guild were like this like shiny beacon, you know, and saying like, look at the, that's so great. They're on the Xbox, you know, and like, I want to be on the Xbox. Like, and, and it seemed like the production values were something that I could achieve. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If, I, if I was watching a feature film, I felt, I feel like I've seen feature films that are shot on video it's hard to get into them unless you're a Blair Witch Project or something like that. It's just, it's hard to suspend, at least from my perspective, to suspend that much uh, disbelief, especially if you're trying to do something as serious as drama, you know? So I don't know. It just seemed like an attainable goal. It seemed like something we could do and do well, uh, given our lack of resources, you know, the more we started writing it, it just became fun to do a serialized type of story. I really enjoy it a lot. And uh, I do plan to do it again because it's it's just fun. It's fun to write that way. I really enjoy serialized storytelling. I think it's it's a fun way to write and create. It's just the way my brain kind of thinks now. When I think about 
idea I have, I think about it. My brain just starts chopping it up into seasons. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I think, well, how much of that story would we want to tell in one season? And it, it's not one complete story. Although technically, you know, Ragged Isle is uh, in essence a three act play, you know, so there is an end in sight. It's not like a series that is built to go on and on forever. You know, I could I could string it together later and probably make some sort of a weird hyper feature length cut thing that would seem like there are a lot of cliffhangers throughout the whole story. But but, um, you know, it, we did we did write it as one complete piece and not something that could go on and on and on forever. Like a so is season three going to be the last season then? That's the plan. Yeah, ah. we I mean, we knew the end once figured out what the end was thank you jake uh once we figured out the end of the story it all sort of fell into place you know and we got really excited about it having an ending about like you know all of this is for something you know all of these things all these bad things that are happening to these people mean something and that there's an end to it i i think as an audience member i try to think that way you know when I'm doing stuff, I always feel gypped when when shows get canceled before they're done telling their story, or shows that feel like they have they they're just like extending it just for the sake of extending it when they should just get to the point, you know. Mm -hmm. I want to be one of those shows that that delivers, you know, on the promise of the mystery. Is there a plan on when season three is going to air? Uh, there's no date. There's no month even, <laughs> really. Uh, we, we've we been telling people spring of 2013. Even that makes me nervous. Putting out seasons one and, and two, like, and having the deadline being as close as it was, really, was really stressful for me. I didn't realize it at the time, but I, I'm, I'm trying to be smarter about that and go, you know what? I mean, nobody's paying me to do this. I'm just going to take my time right now with it, and hopefully people can respect that. And, and can hold on tight. Somewhere late spring of 2013 is, is probably a realistic goal for me. But luckily, there's lots and lots of great other web series that are coming out between now and then. So we can enjoy all kinds of great stuff until we come back and wrap this whole thing up. Plus, I'm in no hurry to, to you know, close the Ragged Isle book, you know. Part of me is, is going to really miss this miss you know sharing new story with people and and uh just having something to look forward to sharing so i gotta get my butt in gear and start coming up with a new project real quickly <laughs> <laughs> and i really enjoy the opening sequence of the show uh where you film i'm, I'm guessing around the area it gives you the atmosphere of the, of the environment thanks yeah we've got lots of compliments on that um my nicest the nicest one was from somebody who ended up becoming an extra uh, in seasons two and three. He, he became an agent, but he said, every time I see the, the opening title sequence, it makes me fall in love with Maine all over again. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I want to talk to the Department of Tourism and say, hey, man, you know, like, we've got lots of people who like, like our, our show because of the, you know, the locations and stuff like that. And we should probably be taking advantage of this. A smarter person would probably be able to come up with some way to, to, uh, capitalize on that. <laughs> Are there any tax incentives in Maine? Uh, not really. It's, it, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there's stuff out there, but it's not from what I can tell from the main film 
office, um, their priority is more about bringing in big names into the into Maine to shoot. It's it's less about really getting the word out about the little guy, the guy who's already here, you know, working a day job somewhere else and trying to shoot stuff on the weekends. They're looking to get, you know, big money people in. So, yeah, there are tax incentives and stuff, but it's so beyond my scope of what it takes to make uh, entertainment that there's nothing for me to take advantage of really on my level. Mm-hmm. But the, the good thing is like, and I've learned this only through meeting people who make web series in other places like LA and stuff like that is like the permits that you guys need or they need just seems like it's totally, it totally like frustrating. Like if I want to go shoot someplace, I just go ask, Hey, can I go shoot here? And they're like, cool, man. Yeah. Okay, cool. I've heard that there's even permits you have to get to like shoot in your own home and stuff. I just, that blows my mind. (laughs) Think about shooting in, you know, smaller places that I think, you know, at least a project like mine has taken much advantage of, you know, just the friendliness, the kindness of neighbors and, and just the general interest in what we're doing. You know, it's been pretty cool. Good. Okay, so you guys, you've made a web series, won a few awards, you've got two seasons under your belt, a third is on the way, or in post, and you really enjoy web series, and you want to make perhaps another one. So now that you're right in the middle of web series and the web series community, uh, for any other filmmakers who might be listening to this, who might be thinking about trying to make their own web series, what would you suggest to them to do and not to do? Wow. Well, there's a million things to do. (laughs) (laughs) What not to do. I mean, don't, don't forget to feed your crew (laughs) and your cast. I think, uh, happy cast and crew is, um, is a positive cast and crew and they will, hopefully they will recognize that maybe sometimes you can't pay them, but I mean, you need to show them some respect for them taking time away from their lives to, help you make your story happen. I think that don't, don't. So, um, once, once you do make your web series and if you're lucky enough to be able to do an interview like this or anything, don't let it go to your head. Uh, know that like what you've made is nothing (laughs) without all of the other people who helped you do it. I don't think there are any super geniuses, in web series you know a lot of people like have there's like one name attached to one show but so many people help out on this stuff and this the smart recognize that um (laughs) and don't uh don't let that get away from them Uh, things to do the most important thing is is to do a project that you really are going to like you know do a project that that you are going to enjoy because you are going to be spending so much time doing it. And you have no idea how many hours in every day you're going to spend thinking about it. So, And, and you're going to get sick. You're going to fall in love with it. And you're going to get sick of other people asking you about it. And they're going to get sick of you talking about it. Back in your head, you just need to rem- like remember why you did it and that you love what you're doing. Um, hopefully, you're just in it for all the right reasons. And that is to you know to entertain people to show them something that that maybe they can't see on tv 
don't make something. I I, I listened to the Aiden Five interview and he, he, they were so right in saying don't do something that's been done before, you know. Or if you're gonna do it, I mean, do a different spin on it. I mean, I, I get that there are no new ideas, but you know, bring something new to the table. There has to be some reason for fans to watch what's going on, you know, and not say, well, let's go watch this thing that already has done that. Or maybe you can do it better. I don't know. I think I think that it's it's if you aren't a talented person that you know, get to know those people and hopefully if if their personalities gel with your personalities, you can surround yourself with these people and they can help you and help you do the things that that maybe you can't do. I kind of live in this world where I I kind of feel some days I feel like Kermit the Frog and you know, I'm kind of I want to go to New York City and or or to L.A. and be Hollywood and be get the rich and famous contract. But, you know, you need all the Muppets coming with you along the way. You know, I kind of feel like that. There's a <laughs> Muppet movie where like Kermit like walks off into the desert by himself and he, he confronts himself. There's like a guy out there like. Uh, there's like a, I don't know if it's like his inner image or whatever, but he's like having a conversation with himself, and they're like, you know, well, all these people, I feel bad for all these people, you know, on this trip, and we're stuck out here in the middle of nowhere, and it's all my fault. And it's like, no, dude, it's not your fault. Like these people, they they believe in the dream, like whatever dream you have, like they believe in it too. So if you have a if you have a cool enough dream, and if you can communicate it to people in a way that gets them excited about it, then you know, that's that's the biggest part right there is, you know, especially when you're not paying them. Is if, if they believe in, in what you believe in, then chances are if you don't get up, it's or you don't give up, then it's it's got a good shot at happening. I don't have any sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. It was, I am curious, uh, with your approach with the web series, you know, a lot of people they have elaborate plans on how they're going to try to make a profit off of it. Some people don't even bother. They just put it up there to be scenic. Where do you fall into that with Racket Isle? Have you tried to monetize it or have you just tried to get exposure with it? We've No, we haven't tried to monetize it. We've tried different ways to develop an audience, you know, um, from doing it ourselves to uh, going through different, you know, networks, uh, places like Mingle Media. We we tried out, and um, the SFN was another actual network that we worked with for a time. Just trying to reach into different markets. We kind of had New England pretty much covered, but the West Coast was sort of an enigma. So they were they were helpful in getting us, you know, getting our our name in front of different areas. And I do appreciate what done for us very much for whatever's in here or there you know it, it didn't end up being a permanent solution for what we were looking for and so we decided to to go back to doing it ourselves for season two it's been good but not great i don't know that there is a real successful model other than say like your band and way or your uh the guild you know is a great example of of just really smart marketing they but that all steps idea that they were working with too i think um it just was the right idea at the right time the right story so i can't get too specific on what our plans are for the future but we have a different game plan for season three that i'm not quite ready to reveal but it's once again us trying to take matters into our own hands we're just going to try something a little different you know try to bring 
one of the things I really like about doing Ragged Isle is I've been able to bring a lot of different creative, uh, talented people along for the ride, you know, and uh, and that's almost as fun for me as doing anything else is like watching them enjoy themselves. And so I'm going to try to get more people on that train with us, you know, for season three. This will all make sense later. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very cryptic. You know, now that you've been working in web series, you plan on working more in web series. I'm curious what you think the future of web series is, especially for independent creators like you. Well, I hope that somebody figures out how to do a network properly where artists can get paid um, for doing what they're doing. And I, I don't even mean like, you know, web series people becoming rich, but it'd be great if they could get to a point where they're just not going you know, bankrupt, you know, to make these shows. It, it, it's not like it's forcing us to make web series. We are doing it because we like doing it. And, and I'm sure there are other hobbies that are equally as expensive, but uh, it would be great to see some people actually being able to quit their day jobs to, to concentrate on, you know, making a web series. I'd like to see what that looks like. That'd be a great future you know i'd love to see some of the people who are in the web series space right now who are doing really good work be given a chance to do something maybe larger scale whether they make it for the web or for television or for the big screen it'd be great to see some big budget you know project being made by chris stone uh, who did Blood and Bone China, you know, to have somebody just say, look, man, how much did you, how much did that cost you to make? And you really, you just, you and your, you and your girlfriend get that together, you know, uh, well, how would I give you, you know, a million bucks and you go ahead and make some sweeping epic. <laughs> That'd be nice. It cost a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're thinking about how much money goes into making an episode of CSI, you know, versus like, how much it would cost Chris to make the most amazing web series you'd ever seen. I know it's a really good show. Speaking of which, Ragged Isle, Blend Bone China, and Aiden Five all had crossovers. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Sure. We um, it's funny we put out Ragged Isle, and in the same week, Aiden Five and Blood and Bone China all put out their first episode. The only reason why I even knew that the other shows existed was because of a, a podcast reviewed our show and also reviewed those two shows you know instantly you know i tracked them who are these shows and uh reached out to to both of them chris and i have become really good online friends i think i consider him sort of a kindred spirit the the aiden five team is is you know a bit bigger as far as the crew but they're all great people you know their heads and their hearts are all in the right place and i'm so happy to see them putting out a second season i can't tell you how pumped i was to to find out that they were actually going through with it and gonna and gonna pull it together the guys from eden five had us send a picture from ragged isle and they put it in one of their episodes um up on one of the screens that they had on the wall we have mentioned blood and bone china and eden five in uh we did a shot in the second season in sort of a library setting and, and there are books on the shelves and there are book, there's one called Blood and Bone China and one called Aiden Five. So we've sort of given our nod to them. I know Chris tried to include Ragged Isle in a scene from Blood and Bone China, but I think it might have just felt forced or didn't didn't work quite right. So they cut it out. And I, I totally respect that. You know, I can't argue the results. His series just blows me away. Of the three shows, I feel like we're even among misfits were misfits, if I can uh, quote 
Rudolph, but uh, you know, it's not like we're it's not like we're doing like a big sci-fi show or like a, a crazy vampire show. Like, there's no real popular trope that we're we're dealing with in our show. So I feel very lucky to have to be you know mentioned in the same breath as those shows. Um, I just think they're great, and maybe people are just responding to the the atmosphere that we create. Uh, the fact that we're doing a drama, just the fact that we're all sort of dealing with uh, dramatic stories instead of comedies. Um, I don't know. Either way, I think they're great. And I've been following their their work very closely ever since day one. And it's because of uh, Indie Intertube. So thanks to them. So all the bands that play music on your show are all from Maine. Is Is there any particular ones you like to spotlight? Oh, gosh. We've got a music page. And it lists all the artists that we have had in our show. And there's just so much talent. I think my favorite band around is a band called Selbyville. And they do the first song in the very first episode of Ragged Isle. And I knew that's just the first time I heard it. I was like, that's exactly how the show has to start. I just I love their music. Oh, God, it, it would be it would be silly for me to get started naming names because then I would feel bad that I didn't mention everyone. So I'll just say go to RaggedIsle.com and uh click on our music button and check out some of the stuff you can you can listen to the whole first season it's up there right now i haven't put the second seasons uh all the music up i i did some of the music like i did the theme song and some other songs in the first season i didn't do any in the second season just because we had so many great you know things to choose from so many different songs to choose from i just i i feel real lucky to to have all those people i I come from sort of a, a, a music background. Um, a lot of these bands are bands that I have either played alongside or, you know, opened for or, you know, jammed with. And then some of them are just some of the, the best that Maine can offer who have come along based on what we've done. You know, they, they've seen that we've been able to to get music out there for people. And I'm glad to share as much music as I possibly can. That's great. great music. Are you in a band currently? Not currently. Um, actually, Ragged Isle is what ended that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it felt bad. It was one of those it's not you, it's me things. I, I loved the band I was playing with, but uh, I just felt like I wasn't giving them the kind of time and attention that I was giving to the series. And so I, you know, I stepped aside. But I sang in that band. We were called The Lodge. Rest Long of the lodge, <laughs> uh, but you can hear you can hear one track. We do like one version of the Ragged Owl theme that's on the end of one of the episodes. But for the most part, I play keyboard. Um, if you hear my music in in the first season of Ragged Owl, that's uh, my pieces are are you know symphonic or you know <laughs> that's that's going too far. <laughs> they're not they're uh, they're synthesized. You know, I just used a synthesizer to to come up with some pieces. Um, <laughs> Have you got through season one? Yeah, I haven't seen season two yet, though. Season one, there's like the talent show. Karen and I wrote the the song Sheriff and, and Rachel sing together up on stage. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched it yet. <laughs> That's not a big spoiler. Would you like to go ahead and promote again uh, where people can find your show? Sure. If you want to see what I'm talking about, you're going to want to go to RaggedIsle.com, R-A-G-G-E-D-I-S-L-E.com. And we also have a Facebook page, which is probably like Facebook.com slash RaggedIsle. We've got Twitter too, but you know, I basically just feed my Facebook page on 
to Twitter. So if you don't want secondhand news, uh, <laughs> check out our Facebook page. That's pretty much the best ways to experience all that we have to offer. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the creator of Blood and Bone China, and you're listening to Genre Tainment. Special thanks to Barry Dodd for speaking with us, and we look forward to seeing season three. Now, the big announcement he kind of hinted to in the interview has now been announced. Dodd, his wife Karen, and two of their friends have built an online network for Maine digital artists. It's called the Entertainment Experiment. The site is up, but only about 50% functionality currently, and they will be rolling out new features in the next couple weeks. You can find it at www.entertainmentexperiment.com. Next up, I had the chance to participate in a phone conference with actress Jessica Lane, who is an accomplished actress of a very long career. Yeah, I think I heard something about that. <laughs> and is currently on the popular FX series American Horror Story. I know we've been hooked on watching season two, so here are segments from that interview. First off, Lane talks about the differences between her characters in season one and two. I think Puppet Master is a very good, um, a good description of Constance. I mean, I, I think you know the 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 thing that I found kind of the spine of the character of, of Constance was that this was a woman who had basically lost everything and had nothing left to lose, and also was extremely. Um, uh, what can I say, unafraid. So she just kind of manipulated her way and put herself in situations that um, probably, you know, other people would not have. Um, with Jude, she has a lot to lose because she's holding on to something that she feels has saved her life and redeemed her. And then when it all becomes clear that everything was false from the idea that um, that she was not, she did not run over and kill this child trying to find some kind of um, life, some redemption, some spiritual life, that when she discovers everything is false from the beginning, uh, you know, she's there's a descent into madness that um, is completely different, you know, and for me, much more interesting to play. I mean, I thought Constance was a wonderful character. She was kind of a throwback to the 40s, kind of tough dame, um, sweet-talking, but with a real edge. Uh, nothing, you know, she suffered, She did not suffer fools. Nothing went past her. She she had a way of moving through everything and getting what she wanted. This woman is much more vulnerable and I think in some way tragic. I mean, she's, she's kind of destroyed her life. You know, she's an addict. She's an alcoholic. She's... Um, 
she's had <laughs> she's had bad luck with men, a lot of bad men in her life, um, and she's kind of come to the end of the road with the hopes that this church, that this man, the Monsignor, is going to save her, you know, that she'll become something else, that she'll make her life worth living. And, of course, that all comes down, crashing. Um, and she's she's left absolutely on alone, completely. And, to, and those are two things I love playing, because you also find them in Williams' characters. Um, that thing of aloneness, the idea of being completely alone in the world, and couple that with madness. And it's like, it's a really potent, potent combination to play. Um, so that's, I guess, if I, I mean, I know I'm rattling on. It's hard to kind of talk about these characters succinctly, but that would probably be the difference. Lane then talks about if she's ever asked to do anything on the show that is too much for her, or if there uh, are things that she can do now as an actress that perhaps she couldn't have done 20 years ago. Well, I mean, there are times when I've said, I think this is too much, um, but that's not been too often because they tend to write for me more, um, less kind of action and, uh, I don't know, more kind of psychological. So, for, I mean, that's that's been better. I mean, um, you know, I, I wouldn't really know how to do a lot of the other, the really... Um, you know, intense action scenes. So I have a few of those, but not many. And, you know, I mean, I think there was a leap of faith on my part, just thinking, well, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I think as an actor, you have to really put yourself, you know, you have to have trust. You have to believe that somebody is taking care of you or watching your back. Because with a part like this, especially, I mean, and where we're going with it, it's, uh, you know, I can't, I can't pull any punches. I can't do it halfway. So, especially when you're dealing with madness um, and this descent into madness, and I, I really felt like, okay, I'm going to embrace this 100% fully. Somebody, <laughs> somebody will look out for me and not let me completely humiliate myself. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's combined. And, and sometimes I ask them specifically for stuff, like I want to sing or I want to dance or something frivolous. And, and sure enough, it shows up in the next script. So, you know, or I want to I wanna play a lounge singer from the 40s. or I wanted, So somehow, you know, it's a give-and-take situation. And then I end up doing things like caning scenes. That's how we work, really. It's It's... It's actually, uh, I've never worked this way before where it's so fluid between the creators, the writers, and me. You know, usually you get a script and it's there and it's start to finish. And this kind of evolves and morphs as we go along. So I do have more input, um, but then there are, of course, you know, limitations. We're within the structure of the of the whole story and, and uh, the trajectory of, of, of where it's going so but it's been it's been interesting it's been an interesting um it's 
been an interesting challenge. Well, I, you know, sometimes, like when I'm doing this, because of this character's descent and where she's going with, uh, with this madness and everything, it harkens back to when I played Francis. So in some odd way, you know, I'm still doing the same things that I was doing all those many years ago. But, of course, under completely different, you know, auspices. I mean, there it, it's... Um, but I think here's... Okay, I know I'm, like, being very vague and rambling. Here's what I think is the difference, is now I feel like I have nothing to lose. So I, um, I don't mind putting myself out there in the most kind of raw, naked... Um, I also am able to do that because I really feel that Ryan would protect me somehow if, you know. But, yes, I feel at this point now I can take any chance I want. I can go as far as I want. And, uh, you know, because judgment doesn't matter to me anymore. I think in the beginning it does, you know the slings and arrows, and you suddenly, oh, my God, they said that, really? You know, none of that matters to me anymore. Now the only thing that I care about is, is it thrilling? I mean, is, is, uh, am, I, am I doing something I haven't done before? Am I, am I true? I think that's the main thing, is have I found some vein of truth? And then I'll follow that as far as I can go with it. So it's a different way of working, I guess. And it probably does have, I don't know if it has so much, as much to do with age as it has to do with how long I've been doing it. Hi, I'm Ben Bays, executive producer of Aiden 5, the web series, and you're listening to Genretainment. Thanks to FX for letting Sci-Fi Pulse Radio participate in the phone conference with Jessica Lang, and we look forward to seeing what crazy, horrific thing the show does next. <laughs> I know I, I didn't, I was not a fan, I didn't get through season one, but I do really like season two. Yes. They hooked me early on with a potential alien stuff. Yeah, there's... They, I say potential because you never know with them. I think they've thrown in everything you can think of from horror. Yeah. Except Godzilla. Where's Godzilla? <gasps> that would be cool. Maybe that's season three. In King Kong. <laughs> Check back next week when we speak live with Joe Wilson, the creator of the popular independent TV series Vampire Mob on the show. Live. Live. On December 18th. We went, did we mention it's live? It's live. <laughs> so you never know what will happen. <laughs> the show is a very talented cast of actors from Twin Peaks, Boardwalk Empire, Simpsons, and Sopranos. So if you have a question for Wilson, please be sure to call in. Also next week, we speak to the filmmakers that brought us Nazis from the Moon, the film Iron Sky. It's a fun interview, so please be sure to check it out. And I want to state every time we mention it, go see this film. Somehow see this <laughs> film. It is so, so good. And it was an international effort to uh, get the it's conference a, call. It's a Finland, German, Australian production. Australian, And uh, we interviewed... Um, Someone in the director, the director in Finland and then uh, in, Switzerland. in Switzerland. So, yeah, so it was. 
This is like the UN of interviews. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and, and of movies, and it was very good. <laughs> so that's it for today's Genretainment. Join us back right here on this channel at SciFiPulseRadio.com on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific. And of course, you can listen to any of our past episodes by searching the archives. Until, Until next time. time.